Okay, my friends, the book of Acts. If you remember nothing else from the teaching today, whether you're joining us at one of our sites online or here in the room, if you remember nothing else from this sermon, remember this, the gospel is good news. The gospel goes and the gospel is grace. Let me repeat that. The gospel is good news. This message that we follow, that we remember and that we share is good news, not bad, not negative, not judgmental, not pejorative. The gospel is good news. And the gospel was always meant to go somewhere. And the gospel includes by its grace. The gospel is good news. It goes and is grace. So welcome back to the book of Acts. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, from one of our sites. In fact, turn around to somebody that you didn't come with. Give them a, f- a fist bump and say, we are back in Acts. Yeah. Even at our sites, turn to somebody that you didn't come with. Give them a f- fist bump and say, we are back in Acts. All right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Okay, so the book of Acts is a fascinating one. The book of Acts is the second part of a two-part volume that the author Luke, who's a traveling companion of Paul, a scribe and a historian and a physician, is compiling to tell the story of the gospel of Jesus. What did he teach? What did he do? And what was the impact? And then the Acts of the Apostles, or as it's better um, described and translated, like the actual uh, Greek translation of the Acts of the Apostles. If you look at um, the heading in your Bible or if you're using a study Bible, it either says the Acts or the Acts of the Apostle. A better description is the Acts of the Spirit through the Apostles to form the church. The Acts of the Spirit through the Apostles to form the church. and it is a roller coaster ride. Uh, Luke has a particular aim in his um, biographical sketch of Jesus, which is that this is for the Gentiles. This is for the outsiders. The church will take shape, the spirit will inform and dwell within these people that have always felt o- ostracized out and confused by the rules and re- uh, rituals that don't always lead to relationship of religion. Now, um, this is also a two-part volume and that we are coming to part two, series two, um, right now for the next number of weeks. We started this series uh, back last year in the fall of 2023 in October, where we walked through the first 10 chapters. Now, if you have time, I would strongly recommend, uh, whether you're here in the room or you're at one of our sites, go back and watch. I'm so proud of our teaching team's um, effort as we walk through it. But I'm also gonna assume that not all of us have been able to watch it or maybe you forget. So I am going to take us through 10 chapters of Acts in three minutes. You ready? 10 chapters of Acts in three minutes. Can somebody count me down from five? Five, four, three, two, one. Here we go. Okay, chapter one and two. Um, It's the ascension of Jesus and the last mission that he leaves the disciples with. So they are gathered um, together and they're wondering what they're supposed to do. Jesus appears to them and says, you will be overcome with the power of the spirit and you will do something for now, wait here. He ascends and then they participate in chapter two in this uh, Pentecost, this feast of Pentecost where hundreds of thousands of Jews are coming for this annual festival and the spirit falls upon them and empowers them to communicate the message and to have the message dwell within. They are the new temples and this takes place not in the this, this synagogue, sanctuary, temple that all of the Jews were typically gathered at. It takes place in them down a side street at a house, chapter two. Chapter three and four, um, James and John go to the temple and uh, there's a lame man there that's poor, asks for money. They can't give him anything, but they actually give him the means to eternal life through physical healing. The religious leaders, the Jewish establishment are absolutely dumbfounded by this and they 
they, they press the apostles and say like, what, what are you doing? You shouldn't do this. Stop talking about uh, Jesus in the temple and Jerusalem and they do it anyway. They don't message because they don't listen because who can stop God's messages? The, the disciples then continue their plan of allocating resources because this is not a, just a, a gospel of philosophy. It's a gospel of doing, of caring, of serving. And so they start to pool resources. And this is where we first hear of Barnabas, who's the great encourager who sells the field and gives the proceeds to the people so that they can continue to mobilize the mission. Chapter five, the opposite happens. We hear about the story of Ananias and Sapphira, these people who, who also sell a field, but keep a portion to themselves. They lie to the Holy Spirit and, and they are struck dead. They die, both the husband and the wife in great fear grips the community and yet the mission continues. The apostles are then captured by the Jewish leaders. They're put in public jail for the first time. And for the first time, an angel of the Lord sets them free. Remember this because it'll be a recurring frame, uh, um, uh, theme throughout the uh, all of the writing of Acts. They're flogged and whipped and then they, they're let go with the message that don't, don't talk about this anymore and they don't listen. They continue to mature as a movement to put together different teams for prayer and teaching and then they elect a deacon's board, those who will serve and care. And here's where Stephen comes into the picture. He's a leader, a deacon, a server, a caregiver, helps to prepare the meals for the poor. In chapter seven, Stephen is at, uh, invited to a debate that doesn't go well and eventually he is uh, judged and stoned, he's killed at the behest of an oversight of Saul, soon to be known as Paul. Chapter nine, Saul changes his tune after having a life altering Damascus Road experience where Jesus comes to him and doesn't say, I'm going to rebuke you and kill you. He says, why do you persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? Paul is taken aback by this. He's taken in by the disciples, unknown disciples, unnamed, with some reservation, and then ends up meeting back with the apostles in Jerusalem eventually, and Barnabas vouches for Paul and his experience he learns from them. Meanwhile, chapter 10, Peter's given a vision of animals in sheets that negates the Jewish food laws, includes everybody. Cornelius also has this vision, and they are all baptized and come to the message, the way, the experience of the filling of the Spirit, and the whole household, everyone is baptized and saved. 10 chapters of Acts. In summary, the gospel, my friends, the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. The gospel goes somewhere, it does something, and the gospel is the good news of God's grace through Jesus that is for everyone. You, me, these people today, thousands of years ago, this is what the message that we hold, the, the message that dwells within us, the spirit that enlivens and emboldens and infills us. This is the good news that is the hallmark and the calling of our lives together as believers, imitators, followers, representatives, little Jesuses together, together. The gospel is good news. The gospel goes, the gospel is grace. Chapter 11, soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles uh -oh, had received the word or, or uh, the, the teaching, the message of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him or they confronted him. They, they weren't sure what they had heard, whether it was true and why would Peter ever do this? So the Jewish um, believers, the church who are now following the way but had Jewish roots, questioned and criticized Peter. You entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them, they said. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened in chapter 10, which we just covered in about seven seconds. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and I saw a vision. Something like a large sheet or a sail was let down by its four corners from the sky, which is a, um, 
It's a, it's a visual representation of the message and the mode, the mission of God uh, that would have been mildly familiar, the sheet sail um, image to Peter. A large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky and it came right down to me. And when I looked inside this, this sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Peter knows who this is that's speaking. He names the, the, the auditory voice and he assumes, as we'll read in the text, that this is like a test. He's being tested. No, no, Lord, I replied. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or uh, common or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again, do not call something unclean or common if God has made it clean or holy. This happened three times before the sheet was um, all contained and pulled back into heaven. Now remember this rhythm of three, what has Peter experienced uh, as a judgment on himself three times. This is the undoing of the sin and the inclusion of grace that God is messaging and then inviting Peter to invite others in to. I heard this um, message three times before the sheet and all that it contained was pulled back into, uh, up into heaven. Just then three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying and the Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man called Simon Peter. He will tell you how um, you and everyone in your household can be saved or invited into eternal life. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them, dwelled within them, just as he fell on us at the beginning of this whole thing. And then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in the way? And when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, well, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the, the privilege of repenting of their sins and, and receiving the way or receiving eternal life or life to the fullest. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, the message of God, not only to the Jews. However, some of the believers, uh, sorry, only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles oh, about the Lord Jesus and the power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem had heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to, on to Tarsus to look for Saul or Paul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year. For a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And here it is, holy smokes. It was Antioch, at Antioch, in Antioch, that the believers were first called Christians. Okay, okay. This, this is a big, big deal. Part of the reason that we are all uh, sitting here or, or um, part of one of our sites listening in, uh, part of the reason that we are experiencing what we're experiencing tonight through the written text and the enlivened word, the spirit of God, is because of this movement 
of these believers to the north of Jerusalem in a far off city named Antioch. It is the first fully Gentile non-Jew church, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. Okay, so this begins with evangelism for everyone. Evangelism, Galion is the taking out of, the sharing of the good news of Jesus to anybody and everybody. The sharing of the good news to anybody and everybody as the spirit sees fit. Okay, so what's happened here, if you remember from chapter 10, um, Peter gives his own recap here. He gets back to the Jerusalem gathered believers who are likely still reeling uh, after their experience at Pentecost, but it's been years now. It's been years now. They're trying to form together. They're likely still going through the process of like, what does it mean to be a gathered body, an ecclesia, a church, a, a called out gathered body that not only understands the love of God, but is willing to embody the love of God in the known world, to, to, to learn and to serve, to listen and to do. So Peter returns home after his time with Cornelius, something that he did not see coming. Uh, And the believers are not happy that he's been in a Gentile home and dined with Gentile people, much less invited these Gentile people into the way of Jesus. Peter recaps the story, probably anticipating their disdain. Now it's important to note there that this is not arbitrary. These Jewish food laws were like one of the issues. Food laws, cleanliness, and circumcision were the religious issues of the day. Now, food in particular was uh, the offshoot, the byproduct, the fruit of your work in the ground, right? So there's no banking systems. It's an agrarian culture that Jesus is speaking, living into, and that the spirit is emboldening these people through. And so the the fruit of your fields um, showed the blessing, the provision of God. You have food to eat because God has provided it for you. Give us today, Lord, our daily bread. Give us what we need today. All food comes from you. And so this was a marker of the covenant relationship that Yahweh had with his people, that Jesus now has with his people. Food was a provision. Um, And in that covenant economy, there were also things that were set apart or set aside. Please don't eat. Not just so that you will stay pure and clean, but so that the world will see that you are set apart. You're different. You don't eat these things. You do eat these things. And this will be part of the measure of your covenant with God. And now this physical symbol has changed that the whole thing is good news right down to the very food that they eat. The the angel of of the Lord or Jesus himself, we're not told who it is, but a voice from heaven that Peter calls Lord says, do not call unclean or common or unholy what I have called clean, holy, good. Not just food, but now the people. Now the people, think about that. It's not just the food that they've ingested. It's actually the people who are eating the food. Not them either, Peter. Not them either. Not only will you dine with them, but you will invite them into this new way. Not just the food, but the people. And the believers are likely concerned with not just like, well, the ceremonial food, food laws is one thing, but like our unspoken rules are that we just don't dine with these people. We don't do it. We'll be polluted. Like, why would you sit and dine with them? What is the fruit? And likely Peter is anticipating this and he reminds them of the fruit of this experience. First of all, their obedience, their experience of hearing from the angel of the Lord, their reception, their receiving of the word, the message, the meal of Jesus, the filling of the spirit. And then do you remember the last thing? What happens in Cornelius's home? It rhymes with schmaptized. 
They're baptized. That's a huge deal, my friends. Think about how long it takes us in one of our local services to baptize a person and hear their story. Now imagine not just the family of these people, but Cornelius is in charge of a guard of people, likely more than a hundred. And all of them, including his family, get baptized. They've listened, they've heard, they've received, they've participated, they're filled with the spirit and they are getting dunked because the gospel does something. The gospel is good news and these people have received it. Verse 17, it seems that God shows no favoritism, Peter says. Why would I stand in the way? All of the evidence is here. It seems that God is gracing these people with the gift of the spirit and the invitation to this new covenant. Verse 18, when they heard this, the the Jewish believers who are still in Jerusalem, when they heard this, they were furious. Nope, they were silent. And then they worshiped God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance, the way that leads to eternal life. My friends, the gospel is good news. The gospel goes somewhere and the gospel is grace. And now we switch gears. Um, It's this wonderful, terrible, wonderful rhythm that's indicative of most of our lives of like, man, really good times. And then it's like, a gear shifts of just like tanking and be like, God, it was going so good. We had a birthday party and then somebody dies. We had a celebration and now somebody is put in jail. We had like the body of Christ shared with us and now we're suffering in our physical bodies. There's this continual wave of pressure and the believers now aren't as safe as they once were in the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the dwelling place where God makes his home. But now God makes his home, his temple in the individuals and it starts to go viral. It starts to leak. Now, the earliest apostles, they, they don't share anything yet. So you'll notice in the text, they aren't moving anywhere yet. But somehow, um, Luke makes mention of the word or the disciples, the believers started to share and it started to travel. It started to get out to the east, to the west. Um, to, it went by boat and then it went super far north, essentially the, the Canada of the ancient Near Eastern world to Antioch. Yet, The inner circle is still staying put in Jerusalem. It's phenomenal. God is like, if you won't go, others will. Like this message will not be contained. It is reaching as far as Antioch. It is reaching as far into the world of thousands of years later in a, a Northern province or country called Canada with a bunch of strange believers here in a dimly lit room or in a, a rental facility, wherever you're watching this from, the gospel goes somewhere, even if we're choosing to not quite listen and stay put. Okay, Antioch is a fascinating example, a fascinating metropolis that um, Luke uh, makes a point of uh, highlighting and focusing in on. Now, um, Antioch was, it was a Greek Gentile dominated city, uh, really not much of a Jewish uh, remnant or presence there. Uh, It was controlled by Rome and it was um, a a very, very large city and it was uh, um, bound by religious pluralism. So there were a number of different gods. There was the influence of uh, Diana and Artemis. Um, So you worshiped what you wanted, like whatever you grew up with, all good, whatever you wanna believe in, all good. So long as you you pay homage to and submit to at the end of the day, Caesar, which was Claudius at the time of this writing, who called himself a son of God. 
There are also some pretty loose sexual uh, and societal um, morals. So again, this is a pluralistic society of like, ah, oh, we're figuring it out. We'll just, you know, double, triple dip, whatever we feel goes, goes. And the message of Jesus reaches the city and mass conversion takes over with a great number of believers, verse 21, believing in and following Jesus. Not just believing in, but doing what? Following this is a big deal, my friends. We should not miss verse 21. We should not miss verse 21. Not just philosophical assent, which we've talked about before. This isn't just like a heart confession. It's their bodies acted out what their hearts had confessed. The believers believed in, received the message, and then did what it said. And the message takes over this city, the Toronto, New York, Berlin, Paris, wherever, you, uh, huge city that you can name. The whole city is taken over by this absolutely inclusive, grace-oriented, wonderful evangelist evangelistic message of Jesus that includes them. And who does this happen with? No one, no pastors, no leaders, no deacons. No pastors, no leaders, no boards, no deacons. The message, the spirit, this movement, and now church. It's just a gathering that's growing like crazy because they have experienced the, the life-giving message of the risen Christ that now includes them. And this church is growing like crazy. This is now the first instance in the New Testament. This is the first instance and in confirmation of a large, growing, fully Gentile church. Imagine, that's us. That's us. This is a non-Jewish city. This is a non-Jewish church. A fully Gentile church is like, oh my goodness, we are captured by this. We're all in. We're all in. Imagine, imagine the first Gentile church. The late um, Dr. F.F. F. Bruce, who I've um, followed his work for many years, he's uh, passed away, but he's the uh, professor, professor of biblical criticism and exegesis at the University of Manchester. Uh, he, he wrote on Acts chapter 11. This is what he says. It's brilliant. But now a new chapter in the city's history was now to begin for Antioch was about to become the major metropolis of Gentile Christianity. The major metropolis of Gentile Christianity, the power of God now manifest in the conversion of many Gentiles in this time, this city, and this place. An Ethiopian eunuch might have become a Christian sometime previously while sitting in his covered wagon at the Gaza Road and a Roman centurion in his household, household might have believed the gospel in his home at Caesarea as an apostle unfolded it to them. But the scale and scope of Gentile evangelization in Antioch was something entirely new and was evidently taking over the Gentile world. The ancient world was becoming convinced of the message of Jesus outside the synagogue, the temple, and the church. If that doesn't get an amen, I don't know what will. The gospel, my friends, is good news. The gospel goes and the gospel is grace. The gospel is good news. It's good news, liberating, freeing, empowering news. The gospel goes and does something. It changes us. And then the gospel is grace. Uh, verse 25 and 26, another fascinating thing that I think I missed the first time I read it. Verse 25 and 26. Then Barnabas um, he, he went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he, he brought him back to Antioch. Um, both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Okay, this is fascinating. So Barnabas is sent, they hear um, the viral sensation that is this Antiochene church that is now empowered by the spirit and is growing like crazy. They send a delegation, likely Barnabas, like they chose a Quincy, right? Like the gentle encourager, wise counsel. If you don't know who Quincy is, look him up. Um, uh, 
go and care for, see what's going on. Uh, and you know, probably like it's nuanced there, probably correct them if they're a little bit off in some of their rules, but do it gently like only Quincy would. And Barnabas goes, the great encourager, he goes and he is overwhelmed with joy. No corrections, no rules, no ritual, rituals. He is overwhelmed with joy. And then he takes it upon himself to go and do what? Did you notice? He's like, holy smokes, that's the Greek. I, I don't, I, I can't do this by myself. Uh, where's that dude? Where's that dude that was once killing us not too long ago? He seems to have a message that connects with the Gentiles. I will go and get him. Travels quite a distance. This isn't like a, a short walk across the street in Oakville. This is a planned venture. It says, just chill Antioch. Well, you won't. Just keep growing Antioch. I'll go and get Saul from Tarsus, soon to be renamed Paul, his Greek name. They come back and they don't just visit and write like a... Um, a spiritual guide handbook or a church policy handbook or elect a few boards or subcommittees. No, they stay, they live there for a year, guiding, teaching, shepherding, and caring for them. And it was in Antioch, Luke records, that the, the word Christian first makes its like bubbles up into the air. Now there's two definitions. There was a, uh, there's a good ancient historical reference to um, the Romans in particular using, coining the word Christian as a pejorative connotation. It's like little Jesus imitators. Like these are the little Jesuses. So we see this in the third and fourth century, but in Antioch, this was more of a definitive, like inside out participation in the gospel. So it's partisans, participate, participants, imitators of and little Jesuses. This is where this terminology first comes from and that we, now have a spiritual legacy for. We call ourselves Christians because this group first found themselves participating in, imitating, uh, and reflecting the teaching, the mission, the way, the person, the love, the ethic of Jesus, not just through a religious gathering, not just through a country club uh, sign up or membership, not just ceremony and groupthink, but a new way that includes everyone through grace, even Gentiles. This, my brothers and sisters, is our spiritual genealogy. We are reading our story when we read their story. The gospel is good news. The gospel goes somewhere and the gospel is grace. Okay, so it just gets better and better, except that it doesn't. Chapter 12 is like this strange diabolical twist, this dive off of a cliff, cliff where we hear about Herod Agrippa or King Herod who hates what is happening. He hates these new believers, both in Jerusalem and outside of it because they threaten his kingdom and they threaten his well-formed and ancient sense of religiosity where only a few people get in and we follow these rules because that seems to be what makes God happy. And I will do anything that I can to stop this new movement or at least belittle it. We read even in passing, and this just shows like the Lucan economy, the Jesus economy, that uh, the beginning of chapter 12 is like, oh, BTW, by the way, um, James is killed by the sword, chopped up. Uh, and then uh, Peter is, uh, is, is jailed. That was how it starts. Like no ceremony. She's like, yeah, that's what we signed up for. Like, of course there's gonna be suffering. God is taking over the world. There's bound to be some casualties. So Herod um, petitions for and exacts execution on James, the brother of John. And then he arrests Peter. And Peter, once again, though, he's um, chained up by four times four. We're not really sure what that means. It's eight to 12 guards who he's chained to right? You, homie, you are not going anywhere. You are staying put in the dark. And this isn't like our correctional facilities today where it's three meals a day and outside yard time. You're chained in a dungeon in the dark. And there's four people 
12 people, 16 people, however many attached to you. So you do not get away. And what happens? Peter gets away. Why? An angelic appearance who sets this person physically, emotionally, spiritually free. This is an indicator of what's happening in the unseen world. God is setting people free through the good news of Jesus. And what happens? Does Peter go and hide? Nope, returns to the community and says, let's get back at the work. Whatever, let's keep going. And then Rhoda, and if you know the story, she, uh, she's a, a follower of Jesus and she's like one of the servants that um, you know, hel- helps to keep the home where the disciples, the, the group is, is gathering. Rhoda goes to the door, sees it's Peter, and is like, oh my gosh, closes the door, runs back, tells everybody, and Peter's like, oh dear Lord, I mean, I just got set free by, can you please just open the door and we'll celebrate once I get inside. So he gets in and the gospel continues to spread. If anything, this would be, this should be the end of the story. You're chained to a bunch of guards and yet, we serve a God of freedom who frees us up to serve and to care for the world, to love God with our whole being and love others as we love ourselves. Despite ongoing struggles and bumps and bruises, suffering, persecution, the good news of the way of Jesus continues to capture the hearts and the souls, the minds, the bodies, the philosophies of those who've always been far from God, who've never been included in this. Those who have always thought that God looked, sounded, acted and taught a certain way, but my, oh my, how things are changing. Chapter 12, verse uh, 24. Meanwhile, the word, the message, the move of God continued to spread and there were many new believers in Antioch. My friends, this is our lineage, our genealogy, our spiritual heritage, the same message to us today. The gospel is good news. The gospel goes somewhere and the gospel is grace. And so if you found yourself struggling, if you found yourself um, burdened by the weight of religion or religious rules that are feeling just too heavy to carry, my friends, may you be reminded, may we be reminded that the gospel frees us up, does not weigh us down. The gospel is good news. If you found yourself feeling stuck, slowed down by the daily tasks of life, uh, the the monotony of of a job that just seems like boring and defeating or, or the tragedy ongoing that is happening in the world, wondering what God is doing. My friends, may we be reminded that the gospel is good news that goes and frees people, that cares from people. The gospel goes and does something. It motivates us. It goes. It doesn't just have us thinking. It has its doing. And if you find yourself wondering, that sounds crazy. It sounds too good to be true. Like, could God love me this much? Could I, could we be a part of this? The answer is yes. Yes. This is our story. This is where we came from. The gospel is grace. It includes, it frees up, it unchains, it unlocks. It includes you, me, our whole lives, living examples, little Jesuses, imitators of Jesus, participating in the new way of life, reflecting and responding to his will and to his way so that everybody can hear. The gospel is good news. The gospel goes and the gospel is grace. I want to end our time with a beautiful benediction. Uh, Dr. John Birch, who's a contemporary Methodist theologian in the UK, uh, reflecting on the path of the early disciples and apostles, he writes this benediction, and with this we'll close. May it bless you as it has me. So brothers and sisters, may God the Father prepare your journey. May Jesus the Son guide your footsteps. May the spirit of life strengthen your body. 
May the three-in-one watch over you on every road that you may follow. And we've received these things, and together we all said, Amen. Amen. Amen.